I'm Carlo, Carlo Pietro Sanfilippo, and this is my podcast. With this project, I want to explore the means, methods, tools, and examples of living on purpose, living the life we want, doing the things that light us up, things that make us feel like we're alive, growing, making a difference, and enjoying the process along the way. Welcome to It's the Journey. All right, okay, everybody. Welcome back to It's the Journey. This is episode 19. And uh, as you know, like life, life is about risks sometimes. And so taking a risk, uh, a small one, in the sense that I'm recording from home with my own equipment for the first time and already had some issues that I have, I think, sort of worked out. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, I talk a lot about that in the book, and it's the journey. It's like sometimes you got to take a chance, and uh, even even uh, no matter what, you're always kind of stepping past your edge into something that might be a little scary. And I'm doing that right now, and luckily I'm doing it with uh, an awesome person, Andy Slowey, who's my guest today. Um, I know Andy Andy uh, is patient and understands tech, and so uh, he he's a perfect person for me to be checking this out with. So I super appreciate that. And I appreciate Andy for many reasons. He's an awesome person, great friend. He's he's one of the most talented uh, actors and improvisers that I've ever personally met and, and had the honor to get to see in so many shows and be taught by and coached by. Um, Andy is you know a loving and dedicated father, partner, teacher, actor. He's an integral part of the, the St. Louis improv scene and improv community and the improv shop. And anyone that knows me or read my book or has been listening to this by now knows for sure that improv played a huge part in my personal healing and my path and my growth. And Andy is a part of that. And so today, we will, over, over the years, Andy and I have had many fun, great conversations about everything from video games to history to uh, certainly improv. So today we're just going to geek out on some of the stuff. We're going to learn about Andy's journey to acting and improv and see what other fun things we can discover. So with all that, let's meet Andy slowly. Hey, Carlo. Hey, Andy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on. I'm excited to do it. Yeah, yeah. So, as you know, we, we always, uh, I always enjoy our conversations. We've had uh, somewhat of a similar path and being, you know, dads and improv and uh, <laughs> sometimes we just have fun talking about whatever video game we're into. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a fun thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I want to do, uh, I, you know, people that, I said, people that, are, people that have, uh, are familiar with my journey and the things I've been, do- been doing and learning and growing. Um, know that improv was an important part of that. And I wanted to dive into to your journey mm-hmm. to improv, how it impacted you. And, and then also as, a, as someone who's taught and coached so many people, I'm sure you've seen um, a lot of examples too where it's helped people. And, mm-hmm. and I like to differentiate. Um, in my book, I talk about things that are and are not therapy. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've heard people say, "Improv is my therapy," or "Yoga is my therapy," or whatever. It's like it's it's therapeutic and it's helpful and it is profoundly helpful, uh, but it's not 
It's not therapy. Yes. <laughs> it's therapeutic. It can be therapeutic. Yes. Cathartic, but it is in no way, shape, or form therapy. Just want to put that out there right now. Have it in the liner notes that it is not therapy. Yes. I mean that it is. Because uh, it could be, yeah, it can be, it, you can't have, you can't have people that don't have uh, degrees in therapy running around <laughs> and stuff because it can be detrimental. So. Yeah. Well, therapy and coaching now, there's, there's all kinds of people that are, uh, that just decide one day they're a coach. Uh, there are coaching schools that teach people techniques and processes and things like that that are helpful. And that's still not therapy, but that's, right. that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so, so <laughs> we're going to get that out there that. Therapy, uh, improv is not therapy. No, therapeutic maybe, cathartic for sure, but <laughs> for sure, <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, as like I said, you know, I've I've I love watching. I love I've loved being taught by you. I've learned so much, um, and I love watching you improvise because you you make it seem so easy. You do such a cool job, like you know, uh, people that aren't familiar with the community. Andy Andy will bring up students that have maybe months of improv experience and make them look like heroes, uh, make, turn, turn, turn scenes into gold because you know, you're just like the Zen master up on stage. And I, I love well, thank watching you. that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's one of the most fun, that's shows that I used to be able to do. Um, it started with me and uh, another instructor and, uh, very intelligent, super duper funny guy, John Langan, do, used to do a show together where the two of us would invite uh, a student up to play with us. Um, and then uh, he wasn't didn't have as much flexibility and availability to do it um, because he became the bar manager at the new venue, at the venues that we had. Uh, so I was like, I would still like to do it. So I started doing it. And then it transitioned from just students to literally anybody that was in the audience that wanted to put their name on a sign-up sheet could put their name on a sign-up sheet. So it was like, well, just do it with anybody. So yeah, uh, it was always the most fun because you get the a rush of playing. Not only are you playing improvisation with someone, and that in and of itself is scary because it, it is the unknown, you know, but also then playing with an unknown quantity that you've never played with before. And then just dealing with whatever comes out of that other mouth in the moment and being able to yes and that and heighten that is is, is super challenging, but also like really rewarding um, to see like some random person that just showed up and has never been on stage before do a show. And then they're always in a little circle afterwards with their little group of friends that they came with. And they're all like, yeah, that was awesome. You were so fun. Man. You were so fun. So that's yeah. always super rewarding. And, and that just shows like, you know, and I would dig. I want to. I want to dive into who you are for the. I'm sure a lot of our audience knows you already, but we'll dive into that for people that don't know you. But sure. uh, it just shows something about you that that you you know you get joy out of putting the spotlight on others. Mm-hmm. It, but but it's your skill set that allows that to work. Right, because uh, you don't—you're not up there with an ego going. Well, I'm the—I'm the master, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm the funny one. You yeah, know? It's a, it's a, a healthy amount of uh, what's it called? Self being self-critical and uh, hating your hating yourself a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but maybe that's maybe it's a path path to enlightenment. In right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The 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 um the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hopefully, no. Knows knowing what you don't know. Right, exactly. Uh, 
So let's let's dive into who sure. Andy Slowy is, kind of a little bit about you and your your path to acting and improvising and all that fun stuff. Sure. So I've I've talked about this in various forms, I think, over the over the years. But like my inception in like performance started when I was in fourth grade, I think, because I uh-huh. um, I was a total dork, a total nerd. I was bullied all the time and made fun of pretty relentlessly. Um, I had big old, my, I had big old glasses. I have really horrible vision. So when I wear glasses, I got like Coke bottle lenses. Uh, before um, they had the super thin ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And my mom would pick out the kind of glasses that I would have. So I basically had 1980s <laughs> mom glasses, which are like big, huge plastic <laughs> frames, right? Big giant plastic frames. And I had little like buck teeth and, um, I just, uh, was, attention was paid to me in school in a very negative way. I would, I, I would be the butt of jokes and would be, be made fun of. Um, and the first time I did a little, little school play in fourth grade, people were paying attention to me in a positive way, which is something I hadn't experienced um, up to that point in that setting. So I was like, wow, everybody's, everybody's really f- focusing on me. And I can say these lines pretty clearly and pretty loudly um, and people are paying attention to me and giving me a positive reaction. So that immediately was like, all right, this is fun. I like this a lot. Um, and then it just so happened that I, I played soccer a lot as a kid. And then when in high school, when I went out for the soccer team, I did damage to my Achilles tendon um, while running incorrectly on the wrong, on a surface with the improper uh, <laughs> shoes. And I then was just like, well, I'm not going to play soccer anymore. Um, so then I just kept doing theater. Um, and I'd done theater after that fourth grade experience. My parents were like, oh, he, he seems like he might like acting and stuff. So they kind of helped me seek out audition opportunities with a couple of like kids, kid theater programs in St. Louis. Um, and that was basically it. I started doing it in, 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 in high school. And then specifically for improv, it was right around there and in junior high and into high school with the theater uh, teachers I had at the time. Um, Phyllis Thorpe in high school. Um, I don't remember who my middle school, I don't know that I even took, I just did a bunch of workshops when I was in junior high, but I started doing theater games um, in high school. So a bunch of Viola Spolin stuff when I was in high school. And then also Whose Line Is It Anyway? We'd watch that uh, religiously on, on VHS tape. Um, and just started messing around with my friends. And we started a um, after school improv uh, club and just uh, my friend, friends Ryan and Dee and Dustin and Dustin's little brother, Drew, uh, just improvise after school. Um, and it was really fun. Uh, just based on what you'd seen from just based the on, TV yeah, show? Just based on like the theater games that we'd been exposed to in classes. And okay. also the Whose Line Is It Anyway games. We primarily would just play freeze tag because that was the easy thing to play. But yeah, we do show, I think we would do shows periodically, like maybe once a year we'd we'd do a show or we'd do a part in a, in a talent show or something, but that was the foundation of it. So it's interesting to think about um, journey as you were describing it too, because for me with improv specifically and performance, like I've been enveloped in it since I was in elementary school. Mm -hmm. So like it's, and it also like, I, I, I tell this to my, to my kids now is one of the, one of the coping mechanisms that I used before I even knew what it was um, to deal with bullies was yes and when I was even a kid. Because if someone insults you 
and then you yes and the insult, it's self-deprecating, but it also like diffuses the situation because the bully doesn't know what to do with this with this person that just agreed and then yeah. made, made a joke out of the insult in some capacity, right? And it gets them to they can't upset you, right? Your 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 emotions are are uh, you, you take the things so that they're they don't they don't harm you, but you're using them um, to catapult into into dumb bits, right? Um, so it diffuses those those situations where the bully's looking for an emotional reaction and they're not getting it. So eventually they just kind of bug off and leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Get an image of like the martial arts people that use yep. the use the bigger person's energy against them. Tai Chi, yeah, exactly. I use that as I use that as a metaphor for improv a lot of the time. Is that yeah. like, well, when you're dealing in that situation, because normally like in in actual performance, when you're performing with friends and people that you have uh, improv, improv relationships with, like you're you're supporting one another and you're like tossing each other up higher with it. But if you are dealing with someone who's coming at you with negative energy, taking that negative energy, redirecting it, and then throwing it in a different direction so it doesn't impact you yeah. on a personal emotional level. I love that. Now, did um, were there some early people in that fourth grade experience or thereafter that that helped you have that confidence or supported you in a way that you feel like propelled you forward? I feel it's hard to remember back then, but I feel like my parents definitely did as I already referenced. Um, my mom's a teacher, my dad's an engineer. (laughs) So like my mom definitely, and my dad definitely for sure, just in helping me in, and I don't remember ever having conversations about it. I know one, at one point we were sitting around maybe at breakfast and my mom had a newspaper and she was like, oh, there, there's auditions for this little, this kid's theater company. You should do that. And they were doing a, 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 a what was it? It was Cinderella. It was the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. And I was like, all right, cool, let's do that. So they encouraged me. And like at that age, you don't, you don't drive your own life. Your parents are driving your life for you and giving you the opportunities and like setting mm-hmm. the table for you to take advantage of stuff. Yeah. Um, so they, they played a huge role in my early life of getting me into a place where I could participate and actually, and, and try to do the stuff. I love that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's exactly right. Cause I mean, you're, you're with that age, your kids are trying lots of different things, but if you stop taking them, then they just won't have that opportunity right. and may never discover it again. Right, for sure. It's like put as many opportunities out there in front of your kids as possible, and then they'll snap up what they like, and then you help facilitate that and drive them to drive them to practices or drive them to games or drive them to performances, and and then and then if they really like it, they'll they'll keep on doing it um, on into their teen and adult years. For sure. Yeah. yeah no. Uh, yeah. It's interesting because I had uh, I had some early acting experiences, but not not so like middle school, but mm-hmm. I. Uh, I got to be Peter in Diary of Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. So I was Anne's boyfriend, mm-hmm. which meant I got, as a seventh grader, uh, I got to kiss an eighth grader on stage. Wow. Right wow. in the cheek. Wow. Okay. I can still remember the taste of the heavy foundation she had on. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. I know what that, yeah. My, one, of my, one of my first uh, first middle school things was like a, a best of Broadway. It's called Best of Broadway. That's what it was called. Um, <laughs> it wasn't like, like it. <laughs> yeah, it was that. But uh, gosh, yeah, I can even like remember, like it's a sense memory. It's a smell of like the cake makeup and they put <laughs> they put full on lipstick and eyeliner and a little bit of eyeshadow onto everybody, regardless of what your deal was. <laughs> and like we did, we did 
uh, magic to do from Pippin, I think, was the opening. And we ha- everybody had white gloves on and we had a black light. So it was just wh- black outfits and white gloves. <laughs> yeah. Just see the white gloves doing choreography. But man, there's something magic about being backstage in any kind of performance thing and like running around and getting your costumes on or pre- preparing for an improv show backstage with your team or whatever that, gosh, it just really fires me up. Yeah. Well, what a great, what a great experience. I mean, I had that, I had that little experience, which was fun. Uh, but my, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get to do more beyond that uh, until, until improv, but what a, what a cool thing to be able to be a part of. And, and I mean, the growth and things I learned as improv as a 40 something year old, mm-hmm. um, I can't imagine how that would shape. I mean, I can, I can see how it shaped, you know, your talent, but like what that did for your, you as a human being. Yeah. Like learn, even you weren't just improvise, you were acting and stepping into different roles and, um, and you have to, and <laughs> well, yeah. So like, yeah, talk let's talk about that. Like, cause that's something I, 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 and when I, as I was doing it, I was like, this is, this is really wild. Like really stepping into like, well, what would this person think or do or how would they act? You know? Right. Um, do you remember kind of getting a, a sense for that as you were, as you were learning to act and like, wow, like, it like, was there was it a conscious realization of like maybe as a little kid you don't know the word empathy but like stepping into someone else's skin uh, as for roles? Yeah, I I mean as a kid it was mostly like mem- get all these lines memorized. I, I did a and then like for example with this there was a there was a theater company called Kids for Kids Theater Company. Um, this woman named uh, Sam Geary and her husband ran it and it was in West County and we did a lot of shows in like community centers and, and um, uh, uh, YMCA's gymnasiums and stuff and church gymnasiums. Um, but we did Henrik Ibsen's Enemy of the People, which is nuts because that's a dense piece of theater. It is super <laughs> And it basically has to deal with this uh, town that's got a tannery that's poisoning the water and uh, this one guy like raises the alarm and he basically, I don't think he wins. I think the, uh, the, uh, the capitalism and the business win at the end of the day, but um, it's very dense. Uh, but maybe in that, maybe in there, because they did a lot, it was a lot of theater that was specifically in that, in that thrust where there was some kind of societal lessons at play in the theater that we were doing. So I don't really have, I know when I went into, when I went to college and I went into a conservatory program for acting. So a lot of it was formula, my actual like understanding of what the actor's job is and how to prepare for roles and how to get your head into the right headspace to be that other person. I think it was, it was formulated a lot then in college. Um, And then, I mean, later, a lot later, like when I started doing more improvisation regularly in late college and then post-college, I started to really get into the, the idea that you are playing these characters and really good improv scenes have a lot of depth and a lot of humanity in them. And then that's what also lets you catapult up to the heights of the comedy that can happen is because the, the humanity and the reality is so, is so present. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like you want to have your highs and you want to have your lows. And the lower the lows are, um, the more realistically and honestly you can play this character, um, the, the more comedic and the more funny it is uh, when you hit the high notes or because in both and all the improv scenes, like especially long, in both long form and short form, you're playing probably or you're playing a character with a strong point of view with a really strong emotional point of view, hopefully, and you get to behave poorly as a human being. Right. But then on the other side of that, you're behaving poorly for some kind of motivational reasoning that grounds it in a hope, what usually is a universal human uh, emotion or human motivation. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got, you've got a, you've got both of those sides. I can remember playing characters early on, like when I, that were, that were like not great people. Right. Like they had, they were bigoted or, and this is, I, I don't know that I would even play a character like that anymore just because it's, it's too, uh, it's, it's too, it's too yucky and it, yeah. it makes people feel gross, but being able to play through it to land in something where there was change or transformation in that negative point of view or negative character. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you can show the humanity and then actually not let the negativity win, but let the um, empathy and, and, and human side of it win, if right. that makes any sense. No, 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 absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I just realized this. Not everybody in the audience will actually know what improv is. Sure. So let's do Talk about that. Let's just, let's really quick define that. Sure. And then we, we can dive deeper into that. So I'll, I'll let you define improv in general well, and short and long form. Sure. So improv in general, um, I talk, I have a real, real nice patter thing that I would use when I would talk to corporate clients. So improv, we can define it by what it is not. It is not stand up comedy. It is not one person standing behind a microphone delivering jokes that they've practiced over time. It is not sketch comedy. Sketch comedy is written and directed and usually has some props and usually has some costumes and has lines of dialogue that you memorize. Um, it is neither of those things. Um, improv is uh, two people or more going on stage, getting a suggestion, um, and then making it up as they go along. Um, the differences therein lie between short form and long form, where short form you're playing a specific game with a specific conceit that gives you some instructions on how you're going to execute this thing. And long form is you don't have a specific game or conceit laid on at the beginning. Um, you find and discover the game or the dynamic while you're doing that thing. Um, But long form also has long form structures that tell you the basic roadmap for the show as it will be played. So for, you've got 30 minutes, um, you know that the the form will will push you around as an improviser to do specific things at certain points. Like, we'll all come on stage at this point. Or this scene is going to be a callback to one of the previous scenes specifically. Um, so while it doesn't have any specifics within each scene, it has an overriding structure um, that gives it... Um, uh, gives it a little bit of safety and that you know that this, this it, it, a liminoid structure that surrounds liminal activity within it. Very, perfect. And then you, and you're all doing, like for a long form, if you're on, in a, in a, just for people that haven't seen this, you're doing it within a, 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 a somewhat tight time frame. Right. Yeah, so that structure, yeah. yeah. And you never know when it's going to end either one. You don't end any long, any improv piece that you are usually inside of. There's some other force, be it a referee in short form or uh, somebody who's pulling lights on you in a long form set that ends the show for you. So you're not actually trying to tell a story 
Um, unless you specifically are trying to do a narrative improv piece, you're usually just identifying moments and then repeating those moments um, and heightening them every time you pass back through them. That's kind of nebulous, but... <laughs> perfect, perfect. So that, I think it some people like, it's, yeah, it's, it's not acting, well, it is acting, but it's, you know, you don't have lines and it's not stand-up comedy and you're yeah. not, quote, trying to be funny. Yes. Uh, you, yeah, you're trying to be, you're trying to be honest, you're trying to be truthful, you're trying to play to the truth of who you are as a person, but maybe at 110%. Yeah, um, and it looks like sketch comedy at the end of the day when it's done really well. So, it, so Second City does sketch comedy like as the thing that they produce and the thing that happens on their main stage and their side stage. Um, but the thing that they use to develop is those sketches is improvisation. So they right. use improvisations to then create something, and then after they've created the thing, then they they formulate that thing that was once improv and it turns into an a, a, sketch. a sketch scene. Yeah, perfect. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, so I want to go back to something you talked about earlier, which because I, I think is interesting because I think we're witnessing, we're definitely in a period of change from a global and societal standpoint on so many fronts. But you talked about characters you used to play that you probably wouldn't play anymore. Yeah. And that's evolving so, so rapidly. Yeah. Because um, I think we're, we're, in, we're in a period of, of a kind of an awakening and it's very fluid, and we don't know. We don't know where. We don't know what it's going to look like five or ten years from now. But things are as, as frustrated as everybody is with with how much change there is yet to occur, or that needs to happen. Right. It's 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 going at a at a rate that's faster than any time in history. Right. So I've had people get mad at me, going, "Well, you well, that doesn't mean it's." Done. I know. I know. It's, oh, not it's done. definitely done. Yeah, 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 yeah. But at the pace, and you're old enough to remember this. Like when, you know, like when Ellen came out of the closet as as an open, you know, openly openly gay first actor. In my brain, I thought her career's over. Mm-hmm. Why would she do that? And that felt like that opened up a door. That now, like that's it's not it's not an issue, right? But that that happens so fast, um, and 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 you're seeing like little micro pieces of that happen just within our little yeah world. Yeah, I, I think, and I mean, again, we're just two two white guys talking about talking about this stuff. So our yeah. experiences are our experiences. Yeah, um, but. I think one of the things that improv has going for it that a lot of other art forms, well, you know, performative stuff. I'm not going to say that others don't, but that Im- one thing that improv has going for it is that it is a human-focused art form. It is a humanity-focused art form. It feeds off of an individual's experiences and their humanity, right? It's, it's, it's like humanism, the art form. Um, so what it teaches, and I say this a lot, is that like the, pro, the, the journey of any improviser that comes into a class set structure off the street usually starts with, um, they, they're whoever they are at work, they're whoever they are around their friends or by themselves. And then they get into an improv class and they immediately form a shell of nervousness and awkwardness. Because they're like, Ugh, or a, a shell of over-the-top over-performing where they're trying to make people laugh or trying to make people happy if they're an extrovert, right? You've got these two different kinds of structures for people. 
And the journey you then go on learning improvisation as an art form is a slow, either chipping away of that shell that has, that because you're in this place that is nerve inducing, right? You're in this place that makes you feel nervous and uncomfortable up and on stage in front of other people. So you're necessarily going, I'm making, you can't see me, but I'm like crunching my body up into a smaller version of myself. So you've got that, you've got this little cocoon that you're chipping your way out of, or you're like tamping your desire to perform and to be funny and trying to reduce that down into just being you truthfully. So you're moving from one of these, one of these polar opposites usually. And the journey is then being able to be on stage just as yourself without the nerves and without the desire to do it for for the laughs or to be over the top. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to find your own authentic, truthful voice as a human and then express that voice through the improvisation, right? So it's a, it's a growth process for anybody that starts, that starts down the path. Um, and we were talking about earlier about like the impacts that it can have on people. It, it can have, for those introvert, introverted people, it can lead to more, it's not like you're going to come out of improv classes being like the life of the party with a lampshade on your head, but you're going to be more honest and truthful and willing to share that truth with the people around you because you've built the confidence um, of doing it in a high wire act type scenario, right? You're going out on stage. You have no idea what's going to be said. I think McNapier says that the art of improvisation is the, the art of having absolutely no idea what you're going to do next and being completely okay with that. Like having that in your, in your, in your sense memory and in your, in your, in your body then prepares you to be yourself in other situations that are outside of the performative sphere and in your regular personal life or your work life or whatever you're, you'll be. And I've had like people tell me like, Oh, this guy, I used to know this guy. Um, he, I worked with him. And then after he took improv classes, he was just, a, I, I got to see a part of him that I never saw before. Yes. Right? Yes. Cause well, he expressed it because he was comfortable expressing it. Exactly. You know, that, that's, that, there's a, I want to, I want to touch back. I want to go, I want to circle back to the humanism aspect yeah. later, but um, I, I think for, for me, uh, there was so much in my life where I felt like off stage I was playing roles that I thought I should play. How should I act professionally? How should I act within these groups because I didn't like or trust myself enough to be just to just be Carlo. And that showed up on stage. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember one time I did a shop, I did a workshop in Chicago with, uh, with uh, Jimmy Corrine and we did like a vulnerability circle. Yeah. And he said, and he's done a lot of therapy. He talks a lot about that a lot. So we did a vulnerability thir- circle and this was very new and very early in my improv career or whatever um, experience. And he, he talked about, what are you most afraid of? And I, I gave an answer of sh- sharks. <laughs> sure. And that, but it's, it's real. Yeah. But then he, he let everybody off the hook. They, they like said stuff, said stuff, said stuff. And then when I said that, he goes, what are you really afraid of? And, and he like, he kept drilling down. And finally it was like therapy, like, it was like therapy because he was, and I heard the answer in my head, but I wouldn't say it out loud because I right. wasn't comfortable. I didn't feel safe. But right. the, what I felt, what 
what he was getting at was feeling vulnerable and, and, and out of control. And, and what I was afraid of is feeling, you know, overwhelmed or exposed and all that kind of stuff. And he, without even knowing it, and I've never had a conversation with him after that, that later I chewed on that for a while. And I'm like, why wouldn't I say that? I'm like, cause I was, I was scared to, and I was afraid to. Right. And I had so many little moments like that on stage that, then like the example you gave with the employee, employer or coworker or whatever, um, where offstage I started feeling more comfortable saying those things that were in the back of my head right. to people or out loud or taking actions I wouldn't have taken before. Like right. one time I had a, a client that was, he was very grumpy. Mm-hmm. We just crouchy old guy that, wasn't happy. And sometimes he and his wife would have fights while I was sitting in their house. So I go to his house and I was always super intimidated by him. And this was a year or so in improv. And, and so I was like, how are we on time today? He's like, well, the game starts at six. So you're not staying past that. And that's how, that's how, and the, the old Carlo would have been like, Oh, okay, well I'll make sure, you know, then watch, I'll watch the time. We'll be okay. And I just set my stuff down and looked at him. And then he looked at me like, like, what's up? I'm like, I brought my toothbrush. Like I was going to spend that, you know? And and he just, he and his wife were just staring at me just in silence. And then eventually they cracked up laughing. We had the best meeting we'd ever had. Yeah. And that's something that was always like, those kind of responses were always in me, but I never would have said. And I I just said it to kind of really like, what the shit, dude? Like, right. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not planning on spending the night. Why, why, what's the attitude? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's that is the whole thing is um you you want to get to a you get to a point with where was I going? Damn, my brain. You 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 get to a point through yes and. So yes and is the is the found we we're talking about what improv is. Like one of the ways that we improv the way that we improvise, the way that we're able to do the, this collaborative work with other people when we don't know what we're doing is with agreement and with saying yes and. So it's yes, I, I hear your idea and I then further it with, a, with an additional idea that adds on to what you already said. Mm-hmm. Um, so the transformation that happens when you get a group of people yes anding each other is that they slowly start to develop a sense of psychological safety with one another, which allows them then to say these things that heretofore they would be too scared or too uncomfortable to say. So in terms of like work or in terms of business, if you've got a whole like stable of people who are terrified of you as their boss, they're probably not going to be tossing out some ideas because they're too nervous to bring them to the table, right? They don't, Mm -hmm. they're nervous of being judged. They're nervous because you might say no to them. They don't want to look like an idiot. So they clam up and they don't say anything. And at the end of the day, with just with reps and reps and reps and reps and reps around yes and and positivity, you develop psychological safety, which then it, 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 it describes a, a team environment that is you're not going to be judged for who you are as a person. And any, any uh, bit of, of, uh, of information that you can add at any point is going to be looked on as valuable and not be judged. Yes. I mean, if you can get, and then being able to then bring that level of confidence to situations like the one you just described can really diffuse those situations and turn them into like, oh, we are humans talking to each other. I'm no longer trying to fit into this Carlo business suit anymore. I'm just going to be Carlo, the human being 
responding to what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just talking about it in a level six class that I've been teaching virtually. We were talking about um, why we trust people. Um, and one guy said like, well, like being vulnerable with other people and, and, and showing other people who you are as a human invites the shows. Like I, I have trust in you and that I'm, I'm just putting it out on the table uh, to, to tell you something personal about myself, um, which then, then engenders a, a feeling of trust in them. And then they are able to then return, return the favor and also be vulnerable with you. And then you've got building blocks of, of empathy and mutual respect that allow you to develop something that's, that's mm-hmm. truthful and honest, as opposed to like, I'm trying to fit into inside of whatever stereotypical relationship this is. Yeah. Well, I, I had an experience once. Um, well, and then that, yes, Dan is like, we, we were taught to like, what is it? Play, play, play your characters to the, you know, with a high degree of integrity or your, yeah. to your highest, in, highest integrity. So your what's, what's your honest, response to whatever was given to you right how would you, how would you really react to that not what do i think is funny what's yeah. the funny thing i wasn't i was just like that was just like i wasn't trying to be funny i was just like come on man like yeah you really think i'm gonna be here for three hours you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> right i, got, I don't i want to go home one too yeah 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 i don't <laughs> like um but then I, one time i had a when I, before I started a business, I had a boss in this, but he had been a coworker for a long time and he got promoted and he just, once he got promoted, he just started being a jerk. Yeah. And I went to his supervisor and he's like, well, he's, he's trying to find his manager style. And that like, well, I'm like, just be a, be a human. Like we, I'm like, it's only guy. I'm like, Bill, we know it. Why are you talking? Why are you talking to me like this, Bill? Right. Like, it was so weird. It was like, like he had put on this mask, like I am a manager now and you are right. a subordinate. And it was so uncomfortable. Uh, right. So yeah. well, that, that's like the whole thing about like in business, you're promoted from within. You're a really good engineer. We think you should be the manager of all the engineers. And then you're like, I know how to man, I know how to engineer, but I don't know how to manage human beings. That's a completely different skill set. Right. Right. right? Um, that's that's like a, a, a and, and another thing that improv teaches is like group management where there is no manager where there's no one managing the group it's the group managing itself and like art art by uh, art by committee how do we navigate with other human beings to be collaborative without a guiding force that is another human being telling us how to do stuff mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's, that's huge for that. But then, and also like there's coaches in improvisation. It's not like it's a, it's totally without any kind of backstop. The coach is there to kind of at least create the shell of, uh, uh, of group mind, we call it. When yes and is, is, is writ large across a group of people, then they develop a thing called group mind, which is also right on the same page with psychological safety, where there's this higher intelligence that that comes into play when all of our psyches are joined through yes and we call it group mind mm-hmm. uh, but anyway i just kind of went off on a tangent <laughs> oh no well you talk about psychological safety because right? that's something i i that shocked that shocked me because i did improv for a year or two before i got into like it was two years probably before i was on a team mm-hmm. you know but then you start doing like they do you know, there's this thing done it's called these vulnerability circles where you, you go around in a circle and you talk. That, that's what was happening on the Jimmy Corrine thing, but I didn't know yeah. or trust those people, so I didn't feel right. safe. Yeah, that's uh, a huge thing too, is that 
a lot of improv now for for sure because everything's so uh, there's a diaspora of improvisers like on the internet from all over the country that are doing improv virtually. And there's these things called jams in improv where it's like, everybody get together and let's have an old improv jam where you just play a bunch of games or everybody gets up on stage and messes around doing scenes. But usually you're doing those scenes with people that you don't know or Mm -hmm. you know just a little bit. So you don't have a lot of trust in them. So those scenes oftentimes are pretty two-dimensional, pretty shallow, pretty, uh, they're not deep because you don't trust each other to go to those depths, right? Right. Um, and it takes a lot of it takes a lot of time spent in practice with one another to develop to develop that that group mind and that trust. Mm-hmm. That's something interesting that that um, you talk about two dimensional. And as someone that hasn't doesn't do improv, I have no idea what that's about. But like one of the things you taught me is like, look, you know, you, like when you're on stage, you want to know like like who am I and who are you and how do we feel about each other. And what yeah. are we doing? You know, this, yeah, these, yeah, yeah. These, these components of a relationship where the the, the impulse always for new uh, improvisers, you get a suggestion and the suggestion is is a yo-yo. And then you just start talking about yo-yos. Yeah, you start to like, <laughs> like yo-yo. How can I make yo-yo funny? <laughs> right. Yeah, which is, right. A, it's just like a, it's like a, a, a dead end. It, um, this is specifically like, we're talking about like, because I was I, I I was brought up when I was an adult, like in the the, the Chicago uh, improv scene, and took classes at IO and, and Second City, and that was IO is relationship based improvisation. So it's based on the relationship between the characters in the scene. Like that's your that's your gas, that's your engine, and that's what powers the scene forward. Um, so it's super important to understand, like those are elements of base reality, like you're talking about who we are, where we are, what we're doing. And then the linchpin is how we feel about each other, um, because that's going to make for a really immediate emotional relationship between the two people that then you can exacerbate each other and fire up each other's emotions, which is then very human and very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, it, it, you know, I always think on stage, off stage, and there are relationships you can see that aren't working because they aren't about the relationship, the relationship is about some uh, material thing, whether it's right, money yes. mm-hmm. or sex, or yeah. sex, you know, or it's, it's not about real, there's not a real emotional connection happening there. Yeah. It's there's always, yeah. Yeah. There's something deeper. There's something deeper there. I always talk about, it's like the, uh, the tip of the iceberg, like the yo-yo is the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not the thing that the scene is about. It's the, uh, it's the thing that kicks off the scene. It's just the, the the flick of the finger at the beginning of the Rube Goldberg machine that will grow in depth and specificity over the course of this improv scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just it's just to start, it's, it's the match that starts the fire up that hopefully then will drive you to be like, you, you make me feel this way and here's why you make me feel this way. And then that person then has carte blanche to continue making you feel that way <laughs> because you just described them as such, right? Exactly, That's, yeah. You have yes to play with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Humanism. Let's talk. What, sure. was the, what was the phrase you used about acting and, and improvising? For uh, humanism, it's like it's a it's it's it requires it requires uh, hum, it requires humans playing as themselves and using their own lived experiences um, in order to have content, okay. right? Like. And that's the fun thing about this whole pandemic is that everybody's been away from performing improvisation for the most part. There's some people that are still practicing pretty regularly online and stuff. 
Um, but for the most part, we haven't been able to practice it as regularly as we used to be able to. So the cool thing is that you're going out and, I mean, not going out. It's a little bit different because it's a global pandemic. But like you're, you're having a bunch of different experiences, right? So like you're filling up your experience tank. Um, and that's one of the things about coaching and teaching improvisers of different age levels too, right? So like you get my parents who took a level zero class at the improv shop with Melanie they were both like in their late 60s when they started taking improv classes, right? So they had 60 odd years of experience as humans that they can bring to the table when they start coming up with content ideas and, and emotional perspectives, right? They've been through a lot. So they, they have all of that to bring to the fore. Um, and con- conversely, um, when you have younger younger kids doing it, um, they don't have as much life. It's the same thing with acting too. The more, it's like you're summoning on your experiences as a human being to give you the fuel necessary to play these roles and an improv to play the roles and create the given circumstances of any scene. Um, the hard part is like younger people are usually like you know sponges and they are they'll 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 learn the rules and then and then play. And older people are a little bit more set in their ways. It's not, you know, it's not a one for one. Um, but that's been my experience. Uh, but you need, you need those life experiences. So you need, it's, you need humans being humans <laughs> for, <laughs> for improv to be able to work. So regardless of what walk of life you come from, improv is going to celebrate that because that's the whole deal of the art form. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you're um, well, you're trying you're trying to respond as best you can to us whatever is being thrown at you, and you're drawing off of either your actual your actual personal experiences of what that what it would feel like to to be a in whatever experience is happening or whatever relationship, or your imagined. Uh, idea of what that would be like to yeah and then i think even in an imagined idea you're still like pulling it down to being your own personal response to the thing so like let's take like anthropomorphism as an example right so like i am a tree um i am i i stand in this grove of trees i don't go anywhere i'm kind of bored but i have relationships with my fellow trees and like every year our leaves fall off but like it's my ability to bring my humanity to this, you know, just object uh, that gives it life and makes it makes it fun. Yeah, yeah. And trying to think, yeah, well, what you know, how do how do trees perceive time? You know, they never leave anywhere. And right, yeah, uh, yeah. Just but it all it all comes back to you. Um, and at the end of the day, you're you're trying to, like we were talking about earlier, in terms of your growth as an improviser, you're trying to get to a place where you're you're being honest and truthful as this character um, as closely to yourself as possible so that you're being a fully realized version of yourself mm-hmm. or like I said you're a you because you're amping it up a little bit you're 110 to 150 percent yourself so mm-hmm. a small point of view that you might hold then balloons up to be a, a much bigger deal yeah um, which then feeds into the 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 comedy aspect of the thing when it's improv right. comedy. Um, so humanism stuck with me because like um, so you know, Im- improv evolved from what Commedia dell'arte, sure, right? which 
evolved, I guess, I think in, around in Venice during, yeah. during the, the Renaissance, mm-hmm. which was the birth of humanism. Right. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> that's, that's when humanism itself yeah, evolved and be, you know, um, and it was also the birth of what some writers have called was the birth of science, right? Yeah. Which, which develop, you know, cognitive developmental, developmental psych- psychologists will call the birth of like the rational mind. Right. Where we began to look at the world and we were, where human humanity developed what's called a third person perspective. Right. Right. Which, yeah. which children, if I, and today like humans as an individual go through the same uh, development that we've gone through as a species. And so children hit that, you know, the, the age of uh, reason at around 12 or 13, yeah. which is when they start understanding things, you know, from a more objective standpoint and can uh, stop believing in, in magical thinking the way a, right. a child, a, a small child does. Um, but that was a massive evolutionary leap for humanity because like the previous stage where humans took on second person perspective happened like 15,000 years prior as humans went from like living in the woods to living together, living together and building societies. Yeah. That stage of humans development lasted thousands of years. Right. And then in the 1400s, 1500s, this new stage developed and thus a new art form. Sure, yeah. And I don't think it's coincidence that it really improv evolved the way it is now in the beginning of, in the 60s and 70s with the the rise of that was the beginning of what was called fourth person perspective. Right. Where uh, we realized, you know, the third person perspective saw like, oh, there's an objective way of looking at the world. And fourth person in the cultural awakening was like Oh well, there's not just one way of looking. There's not one third-person way of looking at the world. There are many. There's the there's a feminist perspective, and there's an ecological perspective. And each each uh, culture has its own way of looking at that. Right. Um, and some people that have studied that say we're at the beginning of what's the next major leap, which is called an integral perspective, because this cultural awakening, this uh, postmodern pluralism, as it's, it's what's happening is like, we're not seeing a collective whole, we're seeing a further and further splintering of perspectives where, where, where prior to, to that, what they're saying is like, we had this one man, this one perspective, which is the Western white man's worldview, right? And it's splintered so much that now it's almost truth is becoming all relative. Right. I think it's, I think it's where my mind goes and that you said the integral perspective, it's almost like hopefully there'll be a reintegration of like, it comes, it, 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 it starts off with this Western white male perspective that's dominant. And then it, it splinters out into a reckoning with all these different perspectives that are completely valid. And then a reintegration of all of them, which is a, a, the next step of like everything is no judgment every not every so that's the tricky part not every not every um how do i phrase that 
you can't like, I'm not going to be like, yeah, that bigoted perspective is real great. Like, that's really good. That racist perspective is, is something to be celebrated. It's all these new, not new because they're, they're all old, but it's, it's a humanist perspective of, of humanity is here on this planet and we need to celebrate ourselves and each other while we're here doing this thing. Because if we don't, what's the point of it? Yes. Well, you're, you're on, you're you're like, uh, the way as Ken Wilber describes it is, all all perspectives are true but partial right and they build to a larger whole yeah. Yeah. how right. do they how do they fit together it's respect and it's yeah it's any 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 perspectives that cut down others or think less of others or negate other perspectives um maybe aren't valid and don't belong and they'll be sloughed off um where it's just support and love and the harmony and <laughs> your hope. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause, like, cause like even, um, even some of the, the most perspectives, people that are the most angry, the, the people that are the most angry uh, on, on either side of the political spectrum. Um, there's some truth in what they're angry about. And, and if you just, if you just disregard them, then we'll never figure out. Right. How. It, it, it's an uncomfortable process because it is like, it's digging. It's so they've arrived at whatever perspective they've arrived at. And that perspective has been, has been, they, their life has been uh, positively or negatively have put them in the place that they're in. And they're operating on fear. They're operating on worry. They're operating from something that has shaped and formed them. And it's clearing away those things to reveal um, that vulnerable truth of why they think these things. And when you get to that level mm-hmm. with other human beings, then there's a path forward. Right. Right. And that's one of the things that we, we talk about a lot in like improv, in, in improv is we, you can get these really wonderful classes that have a wide variety of ethnicities and people from different walks of life. And when they're all joined together in, a, in an exercise like a vulnerability circle, mm-hmm. it, it removes all of those hardened bits of people and just lets them be human beings with one another without judgment in the same room. Mm-hmm. And then you use that as a catalyst to create art with one another. Yes. Um, and that's why I, that's why I think improv is situated really well to be an art form that flourishes um, going forward because if it's done in that way where it's equal respect, it's not even equal, it's equal respect for every human that's in the room if they're willing in good faith to be a part of the process mm-hmm. that delivers everyone to this, we are humans laid bare with one another and we support each other and we say yes to one another. And when we hurt each other, we call it out and we talk about it and we move through it, right? That's, that's another a tangent of, of something that I've been thinking about a lot since I was in college. Like I took a class that was called Ritual to Performance that studied all these, the origins of performance and ritual and there's a whole, like, you can get a degree in ritual studies. I don't remember the name of it exactly, what the actual degree is called. But I, for a time, was like, I'm going to get a, go get a graduate degree from Northwestern, whatever <laughs> that degree is called, because it's so fascinating. Um, 
but but through that, it was one of the things was like the lim. I referenced liminoid and liminal structures earlier, but like a liminoid structure is something that is that is known and understandable and safe because it, it's a, it's a liminoid means it's safe, it's structured, you can it feels normal, mm-hmm. right? And liminal is dangerous and the unknown and it exists. So like you can say like um, it's anarchy. So anarchy is a liminal. You don't know what's happening inside of an anarchy. But the fact that we can call anarchy an anarchy creates a liminoid structure that surrounds the liminal nature of within, right? It's like the gooey center and the, the, the candy shell on the outside. Okay. Um, so every, like, every, uh, hold on a second. Every, uh, so in society, right? You got these, you got society working away, chugging along, and it's got its norms and it's got its social norms and we all behave however we behave within a society. And then something happens that breaks that. And you have an inciting incident that breaks out, like there's a school shooting or there's a police violence or there's something like that that happens. And things are now no longer liminal, they're liminal, right? Things are, it's scary. There's, uh, we don't know how to, we don't know how to act. We don't know how to behave. Then society has societal machinations that come in and candlelit vigils and marches and speeches and any of these, these machinations that come in to heal the wound that's happened in society and then bring you forth into the next stage that then incorporates all of this stuff. So hopefully you've created a better society after each one of these. And that's like one of the things that's promising about the whole, the whole Chauvin uh, uh, verdict is that it's not justice yet. It's accountability. We're moving yes. in the right direction because the societal machinery that's supposed to act actually did. Yes. Which is, which is like it's super positive motion. But again, it's like, you got to keep working. You have to keep pushing in this direction uh, in order uh, to have things become better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to like call, call, call uh, truth to power and be like, you got to behave like you said you would, or the whole thing doesn't matter. And, right. but the same thing then can act in, in an improv class or in anything. If you've got a group of people together and your little improv team or your improv class is its own little society, when something happens that is awkward or uncomfortable, you have to then get into it, get back to the human level, root out what the why we why we acted that way in that moment and act in good faith with one another to then come to a new understanding. Um, and then recapture the liminoid nature with a new understanding of one another. That was a long-winded no, thing. <laughs> Something I've been you. thinking a lot about in like in terms of coaching improvisation and coaching in, in terms of teaching improvisation. Um, because you're going after psychological safety, but if any of the tiniest little rifts or cracks happen in the group mind, it can start making people feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then they're right back where they were at the beginning of classes where they're not able to contribute at a, at a, at a level that they were, uh, maybe they had achieved at some point. Right. Now, um, you hit on a lot of cool things. That's there. a lot of crap. No, no. <laughs> but no. It, now, so one, one thing I, I've wondered about as someone who's not a teacher is that the people who come and are at least open to having those perspectives are the ones that stay. But if you come and you have, you talked about hardened perspectives. So if you have a very hardened perspective about what's funny or what's okay to joke about, 
and then you're in a class and you're you're made to feel like a terrible person mm-hmm. because you're like just telling jokes that everyone you know tells and then you leave then you don't grow right. so like that's where the improv community is like it's it's it can if you stay in the, if you stay in it and you learn and you take on other perspectives and you listen and you empathize you'll continue Uh-oh. to grow Am I you freeze? Oh, you froze. I missed some. Okay. Oh, I missed some. I froze. You froze. You went like this. And oh. then you... <laughs> <laughs> so go back. Go roll back. Um, 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 um. I was like, he's really building to something. <laughs> Keep this in. This is great. Well, I roll back. I, you, you probably got it on your recording, but I missed all of that. Do you know what I, what I, what I said right before I did this? The improv community... <laughs> And unfreeze. Um, It's like freeze time. If you don't don't grow, so the improv community is blank. Okay. So many people that come come already with that open mind or open-mindedness. And if even if they hadn't thought of something as being offensive, we'll take the note and go, I I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't taken that perspective. I didn't realize that that joke would be hurtful for someone. Right. But if, if you haven't grown to that part, you might just walk away and never come back. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, it's the same, it's the same process that um, I've been reading a lot, obviously, during the pandemic. Uh, and not a lot, for me a lot. Um, but like uh, the talk about the, the witnessing whiteness class. There's a YW, YWCA in St. Louis offers a witnessing whiteness class. There's a book called Witnessing Whiteness. I don't remember the author's name, but it's like the process through which you break down your 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 own your own racism, your own white supremacist ideas comes through a reckoning of understanding that you were born and you came up in a society that was white supremacist. It was designed as a white supremacist society, and understanding that, not holding yourself like it's no fault of yours that you were raised here, but rec- reckoning with those thoughts and then like letting that going through that that those negative feelings to come out on the other side as an anti-racist as opposed to someone who says, I'm not racist and flinches up, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be committed to moving through those things um, if you want to grow as a human being uh, to be able to have empathy for everybody, I think. And it's, yeah. uh, like you said, it, it, I've had, we've had bad people that have, that have like, come in and 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 bounced off of it for through whatever for whatever reason because they were uncomfortable or because they they were offended by something or not even offended by something if they're offended by something usually it's the other person who's got the calcified calcified thing um but then also like there is there is room in improv as an art form for you to like if you don't like doing if you don't like poop and poop really grosses you out like find a group of people that also uh don't like poop. <laughs> poop, you know, like there's a group out there for you of human beings that are on your level um, that will support you. And that's another thing with group mind and psychological safety too. If people have specific triggers um, that really trigger them, then you share that. And that's a part of being vulnerable so that the group knows to support you. If you have specific physical conditions that only uh, that enable you to do certain stuff, but other stuff literally hurts, then you support your fellow teammates that, that have that stuff going on. You know, yeah. what I, mean? I don't like seeing uh, violence against children. So that's something that it's like, I don't like to do that stuff. And it's something that I talk about if I'm playing with a group of people. Yeah. And I've heard, I know, I know there are some teams that are very physical with each other, whether it's just like 
picking each other up or hugging each other or touching or, you know, not, not inappropriately, but just, but other people just have different space boundaries. Right. And you've got a few, and, and that's the thing is like, if you're playing with strangers, they don't know that. So you'd right. think the default would be is assume that you can't pick somebody up. Right. Just because they're not as big as you, but not everybody, some people don't, I've never thought about that. Like, of course, this is going to be hilarious. And right, yeah, that's it. This is going to be hilarious. Yeah, going for that. <laughs> right. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about that. Uh, that's gone. Whenever okay, it's gone. <laughs> um, oh, but like supporting one another and the and uh, 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 you support. That's nah, gone. Around. Oh, never mind. <laughs> So have you, so you've witnessed people, like maybe there's some people, there's examples of people who just didn't, didn't want to hear that they were saying or doing something. Well, yeah, you you don't, you don't, that's, that's it. So I will, you have people that like, they, they didn't think that they were being offensive. So when they're called out as being, as being, as offending someone, they take it very personally. And it's the same thing with like white fragility. It's like, you're racist. The natural reaction is like, I'm not, ah, I'm crying. And then it be, you become the focus yes, of yeah. the event, as opposed to the person that probably should be the focus of the, that should be the focus of the, of whatever the event was, was, was the person that was harmed. Um, so it's, it's being able to be, have enough, guts to be able to be like, yes, okay, I, I, I'm hearing you and I understand you. And even like applying yes and to that, I hear you. Yes, I've offended you and I will do my best not, not to do that because I respect you as another human being, right? Um, and I've seen people glance off in, in classes that just, um, they, they, didn't, they didn't mean to do something. They were noted on something and then they decided that they weren't going to come back for whatever reason. It's, it, it, it is what it is. It's I, it's unfortunate, but you know they've they've chosen um, um, their own, uh, I guess their own safety in that moment. As opposed, and, and that's the other thing you try to do as a teacher and a coach is you try to surround all of these. We're all the, the the good faith thing is is paramount. We're all here in good faith in this class to support one another. And if any of us feel like at that 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 is violated at any point, then we're going to talk about that and have a conversation, and then move through that uncomfortable societal machinery portion to the to the to the other side, which hopefully will result in in more psychological more psychological safety and more respect right. for one another. Um, and I, and then I was going to say one thing. I remembered what it was like in regards to like, because, you know, like some shows happen and like some audience members are like, what the hell? What the hell was that? And I, uh, for the longest time, and I think I probably still would, is like, because it's improvisation and because it requires the performers to feel supremely confident in what they're doing to be able to do it at the most basic level, you know, like if you're scared or if you're operating from a position of being fearful or, or you're operating from a position of worry, it's going to totally affect your abilities as an improviser. You're mm-hmm. not going to say anything. You're going to clam up or you're not going to edit or you're not going to you're not going to participate as fully as you could because you're scared. So like when audiences have a, uh, a critique or like this was very negative, I was offended by this. I've always come to the defense of the improviser to say, like, yes, we hear you. Um, thank you for the note. We'll work on it and talk about it as a team, you know, but it's like, 
I'm going to defend the right of these improvisers to try this shit, pardon my friends, to try this stuff out um, because it requires you to do it without worry and without fear. And that's not saying that anything is okay because obviously you don't want to punch down. You don't want to offend people. You don't want to like make your audiences feel um, that icky and gross. Um, but I'll always defend an improv team that, that is trying and is there in good faith and is willing to listen to critiques and then grow mm-hmm. from those critiques. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It is like, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a balancing act. It's mm-hmm. a balancing act of letting yourself feel as free as possible while you're on stage, while also understanding that you are there trying to bring the audience into the ritual with you. They're there with you. They're not, it's not an adversarial relationship where it's you versus the audience. It mm-hmm. is us. We're building this thing together. And if you do something that is that violates that psychological safety that you're developing in that moment with the audience, then it's something to talk about in practice afterwards. You know, it's right. not like we're going to condemn a team of improvisers or condemn a performer. Um, you're going to work on it later. And that's a whole part of the process. It's always, it's a, it's a practice. Mm-hmm. It's not a finished product. Okay. Well, I said at the beginning that this was a risk and this was something new. And because I was so focused on some of the aspects of uh, just recording this, I didn't watch time. And so time flew. And before I knew it, Andy and I had spoken uh, in over an hour and a half. And so I've decided to break this episode or our conversation into two pieces. So that's a wrap on the first one. Uh, I I've always, I always enjoy my conversations with Andy. He's a great person. He's got so, he just has so much knowledge. And that's why after I listened to the whole thing, I, I, could have, I could have cut it and made it just one short episode, but I'm, I'm going to make it two because there's a lot of good points there. There's a lot of good concepts. And for the people who know and love Andy, I think they'll enjoy it. And if you don't know Andy, I think um, you'll get from, something from it just like you do from hopefully from the other episodes that you listen to. So that's a wrap for this episode. Tune in next week for the second half of my episode with Andy Slowey. And as always, keep listening to the things that are pulling you. Keep learning, growing, and enjoy your journey. Thanks.